You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. So welcome back. We are on the Propane Fitness Podcast and this is Mr. Emmett Lewis, um, who is a man who we had on five, six years ago. And I think we're both very different people now. I mean, um, if you've actually seen the previous episode, you probably won't even recognize Emmett from the uh, the, the switch in, in hairstyle. But um, Emmett's been a bit of a lost connection of mine because we, we keep just missing each other. Um, whenever we're at stretching workshops or handstand stuff, like we're, we're always just ships in the night. So it's very good to, to at least digitally uh connect yeah. again emma thanks for coming back on i oh, know thanks for having me back on i've always uh always been a big fan of you guys anyway and just your general message so I'm more than happy to be back and say hi and catch up oh, i appreciate so, it yeah so um for people who haven't heard the previous episode can you talk to us a bit about your background yeah so i'll just give the too long didn't listen before version so <laughs> i used to be an acrobat and train in circus and then i had an injury that forced me to do what all broken acrobats do you either become a personal trainer a yoga teacher or a pilates teacher and then you sell the lie that like you too can have this body by training yoga or pilates when actually it's uh, leg lifts and chin-ups and rope climbing that does it so uh, i was working as a personal trainer for a few years and then this was before movement became a thing the early days of gymnastic bodies and the early days of uh coach summers and that kind of thing before Edo was on the scene and more and more people were seeking me out to learn handstands and splits and everything else and then uh beyond that then it sort of started spiraling and spiraling it's like okay well people need help with this thing and i just kept going and going and then it's kind of spiraled into this kind of behemoth of a business you've kind of established yourself as an expert in handstands and flexibility now as a, as yeah. a result of doing the acrobatics and then becoming uh i guess building the momentum of, of people that you've coached over this time um and you've You've been, you spent the last few years. So you just said just before we started filming that you'd spent 14 weeks at home in the whole time yeah. that you lived in Berlin. Yeah. So we'd uh, been on the road. This is the kind of thing we, uh, yeah, went kind of like it was interesting that I didn't really plan to get this big. It was just kind of like, oh, uh, very organic growth, very just testing things out. I started like teaching seminars or CrossFit boxes would get in touch and go, oh, can you come over and teach our thing? We're like, okay, well, let's package up a seminar and just make a thing and see what happens. And then we'd get more and more people were interested in hosting. So then we ended up, uh, me and my girlfriend who sort of started organizing my things for me. And we started, ended up, uh, yeah, just going on these big long tours because it didn't make sense to fly out somewhere and go back and go out. So we'd be like, oh, well, we'll just, you know, we're in Asia, well, we might as well do this kind of thing. Oh, we'll go to Australia, that. And we ended up, uh, we moved to Berlin with the idea of moving and staying and building a base there and making friends. And uh, yeah, we, over two years, we spent 14 weeks in our apartment and it was just sublet most of the time. That's insane. Does it not feel quite destabilizing just never being at home? It's kind of really interesting because we had this crazy travel schedule for quite a long time. And then what we, uh, thanks to Corona, has basically forced us to stop traveling. We're still meant to be, we're meant to have a six-month tour at the end of this year. So obviously that all got uh, canceled with all the travel restrictions and everything. So now we're 
yeah, enjoying being at home and uh, have an apartment in Dublin here. We're like, oh, maybe this is nice. Maybe it's interesting to be consistent. Yeah, this is what it feels like to be at home. I think, to be honest, the the whole lockdown thing, like I'm an antisocial bastard introvert anyway. So for me, it's not really been a change in, in lifestyle. Like I spend most of my time just sat at this at this desk. <laughs> I even got my hair cut opposite the road. Um, and the woman who was cutting my hair was like, do you ever leave your desk? And I was like, what? She was like, I always see you in that window. And you, you just, I was like, oh man, like <laughs> that is embarrassing. <laughs> but, but from, from what you said there, like that is the sign that your product, that you're offering a, a bloody good product when, despite lack of marketing you still have people being like hey can you come and do a workshop here and you're just always in demand across the world like yeah the fact that there is enough demand for you to literally just move around the world and to be like well i'm in asia so may as well do a couple in vietnam and thailand or yeah whatever. pretty cool yeah no, it's, it's very interesting it's very nice because like we you know i I know it sounds weird. I don't want to sound bragging or anything, but I actually just can't advertise. I don't. You probably see. I never say, "Oh yeah, online coaching spots available" or all this kind of stuff because I'm really sorry, Emmett. Yeah. There's a man. Oh uh, no, he's gone away. Never mind. <laughs> There's, There's a man, a man at the door. Window. Yeah, but he's he's given up. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Uh, what were you saying? Yeah. So I just saying, like we we don't really advertise stuff because we just there's limited amount of time in the day to actually deal with all the inquiries and everything, even though we have a team now on it. And it's kind of interesting just to get that kind of growth just based on, you know, just based on word of mouth more than anything else. And just other people noticing. Well, this is testament to the fact that your method works. Like what, what you teach genuinely gets people insane results. And I think flexibility particularly is still in the whole kind of, online fitness world it's still seen as the dark art it's the one that no one really feels like they understand everyone can yeah and and you know it's the thing that's hardest to fake um you can always photoshop um looking looking good or like you know we, we always say like the classic physique person who diets once and then um gets lean and then takes 100 photos and just posts them out for the next decade but yeah. flexibility is is harder to fake and it does really require that um a consistent ethic yeah i think this is what gets people a lot is uh 90 percent of the man the man is back two seconds <laughs> the man is back. i cannot the believe man that man back. so he after all that knocking he just pushed it through the letterbox in the end anyway it's like well <laughs> doesn't he know i'm on a podcast with the the og and anyway we should leave the man on i think we can do a book review of what books you just got from amazon <laughs> I think it's the most boring thing, actually. I got some uh, some plastic shoes that you can put, like plastic bags you put over your shoes when you're cycling to work so you're not just squelching around the hospital all day. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things I think uh, no one really talks about it. Well, I know from some of my friends who are doctors, but like foot care for doctors is, uh, and nurses is a massive untapped zone. Foot care. Yeah, foot care and, you know. So the, there's a certain type of shoe that I think all nurses wear, which is like kind of a, a cast like a just a, this like black cake of a of a shoe that it's clearly for high to be fair though they they get through so many steps every day yeah um like easily 12 13 000 steps yeah definitely it's one of those uh yeah nurses like i don't think they get enough praise for how fit they must be just Some in terms of, of like yeah. 
there's i think there's two brands of, of nurses there's like the the super super fit diligent ones and then there's like the the candy crush um nurses that yeah. live on quality street that's on the boards um so yeah you, you have to fall into one of those buckets nothing in between anyway where were we talking about the dark art of flexibility yeah there we were yeah. so um so what's the because the the i guess partly because the returns are so non-linear with flexibility and yeah it it requires a bit more of a bit more of a, a feeling more of a kind of you have to really feel into the stretch and recognize your limits compared to the more predictable side of like you just get weight on a bar and just bash yeah. out some bench press for a few weeks and you will see some progress yeah it's definitely it's this kind of thing of uh i think it's one of these things like say say with barbell training it's kind of an analogy you so you go in you have no limitations you go in you get a good coach and he teaches you the bench press and he teaches you with good quality technique how to bench press that means basically your bench press unless you get into ultra specialized powerlifting is going to be the exact same bench press you do for the rest of your life if it was good to start with with flexibility what we're trying to do is actually teach the body to do something it can't do so even if you can bench press with good form good setup good everything your body can do it it's just increasing the capacity in this area whereas in flexibility let's say we're trying to put you into position range of motion your body is not experienced for a very very long time possibly never if you've never done bridges as a kid or something say so then it's a different sort of training it's a different methodology and while on paper this is the trick that gets people it can look like uh strength training can look like oh we are doing strength training a lot of people would equate it to strength training where it's you know say oh you know the stronger you are the more you can express your range of greater leverages and i agree with that to a certain degree but it's not the same because if we make you too strong in your flexibility positions it locks you down and you can think very like if we just let's go powerlifter examples it's very easy to pick on them but we think of powerlifters who they're like they're aiming to squat like one inch below depth like one inch you know as close to the line and a lot of them, if they train at this level, they don't actually get more flexible. They get really damn strong at stopping at that exact point and turning around because they've specialized in this. So this kind of happens with strength. So we have to find a way of like using the nervous system, using strength and resistance training and you know, understanding our planes of gravity and all this to educate the body on how to express the range of motion the joints are capable of. It's as much a skill as anything else. And people haven't really honed in on this detail that getting flexible and expressing your range of motion is a body skill as distinct as strength as a skill as well. So if we get more skillful with our body and get used to driving it and teach the body on the various ways it can express itself, then the flexibility comes out as a side effect of this. So it's not so much just about like hammering the splits. This is the kind of thing you can get very good at hammering side splits and you'll do a side split and you'll do a side split with weights but then you won't be able to use your side split or your range of motion in, say, a handstand or tumbling or something else. It won't come out because you haven't trained the skill. You've trained one specific linear dimension of it. So this is kind of what we are what we have to deal with. We have to understand that there's what I, what I would cue in, there's four variables to flexibility training. In strength training, we have three variables. We have frequency, intensity, and volume basically. In flexibility, we have the fourth one of variety. We need to actually have a certain amount of variety, particularly in relation to the planes of gravity and the velocities we go in and out of to actually dictate the overall general flexibility expression versus the specific flexibility expression. 
it seems like people haven't thought too far ahead with that. Like you, everyone I know is always, always wishes, oh, I wish I was more flexible, but they, I don't think anyone's explored the next step or like either why or in what plane or specifically to do what. And so you, you're right there, I guess, the, with powerlifters, um, I mean, yeah, they're the perfect, perfect people to pick on, but uh, they, it's, there's actually, it's almost like it's disadvantageous for them to become more flexible in those planes for those three movements. But it's such a, such an odd sport that in very few other things, would you literally only do three movements and you could even train your entire life with only those three movements. Not that it's not that it's ideal, but, yeah. but you could. Um, and that actually having, range beyond the competition depth is not helpful um where so so where does being flexible fit in for someone who is looking to generally improve the condition of their body like what is the um what where does it fit in with someone's general fitness pursuits yeah so this well this is where it becomes very specific it's kind of it's always that kind of idea like how much do you need less better question like what do you want to do like you know, you train BJJ as an example. Do you need a perfect job, flat job. side split? Yeah, blowjob job. BJJJ <laughs> something or BBJ. Which one is over? BBWJ. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, you train like that. Like, do you need a flat side split? No. Do you need decent range in the motion in the adductors and strength to like keep someone in your guard position? Yes. And this is where your range of motion training can get into it. You know. Do you need splits? Well, it's easy enough to get splits for most people if you put in consistent work. So maybe you should just get them. But it also comes down to like, you know, body morphology. What does this person want to do? Like we have a big stacked rugby player, just like big prop or something. He's pretty big around the torso. Like the bending forces on his spine as they do a forward fold to get around all the mass of the stomach is going to be much bigger than someone who's like a stick maybe he won't be able to express as deep a pike stretch as someone but he should still train it a bit it's this kind of idea of like you know it comes back to uh it's a lot of thing going around i suppose flexion intolerant and extension intolerant has been bandied around the physiotherapy worlds lately and the sports physiotherapy worlds it's like i am flexion intolerant and i can't tie my shoelaces because i was like well actually have you trained flexion of the spine no, because you've only trained neutral. No wonder you're intolerant of it because your body is cued to not deviate from neutral. And, and like, even the psychological uh, association with, because I, I, you know, I, I grew up on Breakfast of Tea Nation and yeah. being told like you must never round your spine under any circumstances. And then you end up like associating it with like, oh shit, I can't, I can't do that. And so it almost, I think that compounds the, the fear effect or the sense that like, oh, I might injure myself if I, if I go into this this range, and yeah. know, we've seen that you do uh, in people who have had previous injury, they build up the density of alpha and gamma receptors in the in the spine to to sense these these kind of little normal proprioceptive movements yeah. as pain sensation, and compound that with fear and then antalgic behaviour and being stiffened up when you're walking around, and it, it's just a, a recipe for the cycle of pain. Yeah, exactly. It's one of these things that I'm really trying to start pushing forward in my new articles and stuff that I'll be sort of dispensing over the next while, is we have the biopsychosocial model of pain, what's been bandied around, but expands into flexibility. Like we can think of all these things like you just touched on there. It's like, oh, this position is dangerous. Oh, 
I haven't done that. Stretching will make me go into this position. That is dangerous. Danger, pain, stress, boom. Oh, you won't do it. You'll be avoiding behaviors of these things that will cause the issue. It's the same idea that like we have this whole social structure of flexibility. It's like, oh, we train somewhere and no one trains their flexibility hard because no one puts a high social value on being flexible. Oh, suddenly it's okay to be tight. And even I'm not even talking like gymnast flexibility here, I'm just talking generally stiff because that's how everyone does it. Everyone learns unconsciously off everyone else by watching how they move. You see the people who are around you are stiff. Oh, well then everyone moves stiff and that's acceptable. And this is acceptable range of motion. Whereas if you take someone, I've seen this many times, you take someone who trained CrossFit for a while and they go, you know what? I want to take up yoga or aerial or something that has high flexibility demand. Suddenly they have a big jump in flexibility almost immediately from being in an environment where flexibility has a higher social capital than it would in a, a strength gym or in a CrossFit, even though CrossFits are pretty good for mobility training and stuff, but it's still just this unconscious bias and social capital gets ignored. And this is the thing, like there's just so much anti-stretching and anti-flexibility rhetoric out there. Like it does nothing, all by very uneducated coaches and very limited studies. Like it does nothing, it makes you slow, it makes you weak, blah, blah, blah. It's only a neural adaptation, all these kind of things that people would say when they're completely wrong, they haven't read the literature from going back to the 60s even. So you're relying on this social environment where people are putting a negative bias towards some sort of training modality that they don't understand, which is understandable. But at the same time, it's uh, limiting what you can do with it. It's a limiting belief. The, the, the only So I, I definitely agree that there's kind of um, these more nebulous claims of, oh, you shouldn't really be... Yet at the same time, people have a... They want to be able to touch their toes, but they don't know why. At the same time, the only thing that I can't quite reconcile is Stu McGill's work, where he talks about developing dynamic stability in the spine and not training the, um, not not kind of spending much time in flexion, either passively when sitting or in 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 motion, and talking about the correlation between flexibility and back injury. But then at the same time, I mean, it's, it's so, his work is so complicated and I, I don't want to kind of oversimplify yeah. it because he does, he does say that, you know, being able to develop stiffness around the trunk and flexibility of the hip is protective against back pain, but flexibility of the, of the spine and lots of, um, lots of flexion is more risky for back pain. Um, maybe it's more to do with like the populations that he's talking about. I don't know if it's the... You know, if you try to be a powerlifter and a yogi, then you're producing oppositional tissue quality in yeah. the spine. You're doing lots of flexion and extension combined with lots of so lots of delamination with the spine, plus like uh, laying down collagen and stiffening it at the same time. And that's that's maybe the perfect storm for um, for back injury. Yeah, it's one of these things that's kind of. Like I think a lot of there's a lot of critiques coming out of McGill's work based on like newer findings. So once they started doing MRIs on healthy subjects and finding out, hold on, there's so many people have asymptomatic disc issues and all this. It's like, well, maybe it's just a normal case of aging. Like wrinkles is one of the simplifications of it. But it's the same time. It's like, oh, why is strength and flexibility an inherent incompatibility? Like. I can think of one girl I trained once who could sumo deadlift 150 kg at about body weight of 52, 53. 
at the same good. time, Gain Split could basically sit on her head in contortion, uh, all these kind of things. Like, well, you know, these things are just because they're not trained at the same time and not brought up. It's we it basically comes down to adaptive energy. Every tissue in the body can adapt if you stress it in the right way. If you try to go, oh, stress my body in this way, and then I'm trying to make it adapt in the opposite direction, maybe you're going to have a problem if you don't approach it sensibly. But at the same time, I it's one of those ones I just disagree with what I see in McGill's work. Like I can find a lot of case studies in the other direction where it's like, oh, we've taken someone who was stiff, couldn't jump, like stiff in terms of total range of motion, not ten tendon stiffness, couldn't really jump high, and we've increased it, their standing vertical jump they're standing broad jump significantly, uh, got them splits and got rid of their pain that they're experiencing. And I've done that so many times. So it's like, well, that's interesting. We're basically doing what McGill says is impossible. It's like, you need stiff hamstrings. Like, well, I've got someone who can do head to toe and dunk a basketball at the same time. You is know? that, I mean, the, that's quite an extreme case as well. And I, I wonder whether there's, there's certainly a degree of, um, some element of improvement is beneficial, and then you start to get negative marginal returns. Yeah. Like I certainly noticed that with with training for strength, like going from zero to twice body weight squat, very helpful for tumbling, gymnastics, felt better, performed better. Going to two point five body weight squat, very little marginal return, and then squeezing it out to two point six, two point seven. It's like actually now I'm just knacking myself every time I go to the yeah. gym, and. You know, and it's my fault. Like I'm coming in, ignoring the pain, and just doing this one type of training that's just like hitting your head against a yeah. wall. But there is something to be said for like at the extreme of any kind of you know. You see the same with extreme marathon runners or um, contortionists that are doing like you know rolling the spine yeah. all the way around and head up the bum and all that kind of thing. It's like it's it's probably going to happen. Whereas if you take someone from what you said that you got the average office worker that and their their baseline is everyone else who's also stiff and can't reach their hands over their head and taking them from what is really pathological even though it's normal just because everyone's yeah. like that into full range of motion is going to be an improvement but um then and i suppose you see that more smoothly if you have a crossfitter who is an all-round fit person but just needs yeah. a bit of bit of a, a kick up the bum to to, to get to that point but then i guess what you're saying is if you have someone who's an extreme uh power lifter or um something that's very tight and very specialized and yeah. then you try and drag them the other way while still having that that stimulus it's going to um it could potentially introduce a problem rather than if they were like someone like juji mufu who had trained everything concurrently yeah all the way up to being a bodybuilder that can do the splits rather than taking a bodybuilder and who's never stretched before and trying to make them do yeah stuff yeah basically i think it's kind of this idea of like we we have special two over specialized categories of people who have pushed one far in one direction like whatever that might be strength bodybuilding endurance once you start pushing super far in anything the body changes in response to the training in a massive way just to make you more and more efficient at your chosen activity compounded by doing i've been doing this for 10 years you've basically gone through one whole tissue regeneration cycle of like seven years so everything in your body is now trained with the stimulus of like i'm a powerlifter i'm a yogi i'm an endurance runner and then to detrain you have to almost detrain out of that and then put in the new qualities you want 
So it's kind of one of these things like obviously there's transferals. Like this marginal gains, I agree with a lot. It's like, how strong do you really need to be? Like, you know, two by body weight squat is good. I'd almost say 1.5 by body weight squat is generally fine for most people, particularly if they're doing other activities or other sports. After that, it's like eating into, I don't know, training recovery volumes. Like you have to recover from this training and still get good at your other activities. At the same time, you know, I think uh, I think going back to Charlie Francis, if people remember him, the sprint coach, was talking about how he took Ben Johnson's front squat from 200 kg to 300 kg. So, whatever, 50% improvement. And they reduced the sprint time in that by 0.2 a second. Oh. <laughs> you know, well, obviously that was... he's then up against, like, it's because that, I think that's not just, oh, I increased my squat by that much and therefore my, my running improved a tiny bit. It's... Um, I've now got the additional training load and, and body weight and everything required to squat 300. And I'm having to kind of mitigate that against all the other things. And the net effect is a slight improvement in my sprint, but yeah. it's almost like a, it's the same as like uh, the I'm eating 3000 calories and burning 4,000. If I try and eat 5,000 and burn 6,000, like you're just creating more churn, but there's a lot more bollocks yeah. goes along with it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Like, obviously, marginal results are great when you are at the top end of your class and 0.2 of a second is a world record versus not a world record. But, uh, yeah, for normal people, I think people over-pursue one quality in general because people have a tendency of what sort of training they prefer. I like strength training. I like doing things. I like yoga. I like endurance. And then they do too much of that if they're just looking to be generally fit. And then they're like, oh, wait. Then suddenly you start hitting problems from that. And then it's like, oh, I have to go back and I have to start as a beginner at somewhere else. But people think oh, I'm more advanced because I've done 10 years of powerlifting, so I should be an advanced trainer. It, and people stick with what they know, don't they? It, it, yeah. It's the classic. Like, you know, um, I know Kit Lockton said you you see people go to like a yoga class and you've got these like really, really slinky girls that come up and sit at the front and they just start with a hamstring stretch. And he's like, the last thing you need to do is a hamstring stretch, but you just almost going to what's safe because you you're good at that yeah. already no one does like starts with a, a psoas stretch or like a an anterior <laughs> delts stretch or something that's really minging um like a, you know scalenes or something yeah. so um yeah i suppose part of that is just the willingness to do the hard thing to do the thing that's a bit awkward that you know that you really should be doing so yeah. what what are some of the benefits to someone who like the average lifter to becoming more flexible uh hmm None. No. <laughs> basically, uh, well, what you're looking at is basically like you're giving yourself, the more range of motion you have, the more options you have, the more less restrictions you have. So let's just say you want to train your legs and you want to train with an upright squat and you calves need to be stretched and all this. And you go, oh, well, you put some time in, you train your split squats, you train other stuff, and then suddenly you can get your knees over toes. Suddenly a whole world of different squatting mechanics open up to you that could be more favorable to your proportions. So maybe you'll be able to sit more upright, less lean, less back engagement in your squat, more able to target your hips. These kind of things will be better. Uh, at the same time, it's like, oh, say my calves, the people are like, oh, my calves never get more bigger. And I always train my calves. Like, maybe you just need to get like more flexible in the calves to train a bigger range of motion. We know there is a bit of correlation between range of motion and hypertrophy training. Maybe it just gives you more options that you can go, oh, I'll go deeper into the stretch and I'll just train bottom half calf reps, you know, these kind of things. At the same time, it's like, well, 
you are getting stiff, particularly for like training. I think a lot of general strength training takes a lot of its cues from powerlifting. I'm once again, I'm always picking on powerlifting. I have nothing against powerlifting. I just, <laughs> it's just, it's such a, it's so the antithesis of like, you're trying to limit your range of motion as much as possible in powerlifting because the less limitation, the like less you have to lift and the easier it is. So it's easy to pick on. But if we think about like high arch bench setups and like wide grip setups and like bringing the bar quite low on the stomach to reduce the range of motion in your bench press, maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want to train with a flatter style, less arch, less leg drive, just to target your upper body, build more gross upper body strength versus total body strength. And that was a thing. So then you're like, well, if I can't actually touch a bar with this and I'm getting too much stretch across the pecs, maybe I'm going to start getting shoulder issues. Can I actually move true range of motion? Can I train extension? This is one of those things like people have issues pressing overhead because they can't flex their shoulder joint to the degree to push it overhead. Or let's say a good one actually for everyone listening in is external rotation. So we train external rotation of the arm. If we think of the resistance, so if you're watching the video, you'll see it here. I move my arm and the weight is pulling straight down pulling straight down. Once I get about 40 past 45 degrees, the sum of the vector forces, if we split them into the various vectors, then the weight is going to be pushing down and engaging more of the anterior delt. So when I get into this overhead position where people might have issues with, then I'm like, oh, I'm not training my external rotation in this kind of shoulder flexed angle. I might start having issues if I'm pressing overhead. Whereas if I was to train external rotation in a prone manner, so we're training in a gravity resisted prone manner, training this last quarter of the range of motion to be able to externally rotate behind my head. And then maybe when I train my overhead press and everything else, I have more range and more ability to actually stabilize and control that weight in a manner that would be more fitting for overhead pressing. So this will give you more control, more control is better. I remember you talked about this concept on the last one, um, which was, yeah, exactly this concept that if a normal movement for you, like you know, a standing overhead press, is right up against the limits of your flexibility, then that's going to be limiting your strength. And if you can just open up 10% of flexibility, slightly more than you need, but you're not then just right grinding up against the front of your shoulder capsule and you really kind of, then suddenly that can unlock strength that you previously weren't able to access yeah exactly exactly so it's this kind of thing if we take say the example of the squat let's say let's say you can't fully close your knee joint so a simple way to think of this is sitting on caesar so so sitting with on your shins on the floor if you can't sit there you can't fully close your knee joint what do you think is going to happen when you flex the hip as well and try to sit down so you're like leaving it's not even that you need to squat as the grass i'm not a, a huge proponent of everyone must squat as the grass you obviously want a squat technique that suits your morphology but at the same time if you are limited there your body will sense that limit before you know it's a limit and will put the brakes on so you can free up more potential by just having a bit either side of your flexibility demands same with uh, same with running and hip extension I remember it was, uh, here's an interesting one actually, anecdotal, so obviously bear with me on this one. But I was teaching a handstand class in a gym in Dublin and they also asked, oh, let's do some stretching towards the end. We had 10 minutes left. So I was like, okay, let's uh, put everyone through a stretch therapy style solo hip flexor stretch where we're just like, okay, we're just stretch the hips out, stretch the quads, long hold, relaxed. One of the guys who's doing the class happened to be a master's level inter- a middle distance runner 
uh, cross-country middle distance runner. He got in touch with me afterwards to tell me what had happened. He went on his run. He had, I think it was a 10K course plotted out that he would train on. And he tracks everything, GPS, running, watches, two coaches, went, finished his top 10 in his age category for the last umpteen years. And uh, he reduced his pace by about five to 10 seconds per kilometer. And he said the exact same thing. He's like, I could just feel I could fall far further and my stride was longer. So he took less strides because he's tracking that as well per distance per 100 meters. So he's able to increase his time by having more fall angle because he could get full hip extension. Obviously, he probably tightened up if he went uh, a bit later. He probably would have tightened up in reactive tightness and had a worse result. But at that time, he's like, oh, shit, I just performed better because I had more available to myself. That's really cool. He just took the brakes off. Yeah. Or even just like fall angle, lean angle, or, you know, we're talking probably a five degree increase in extension that would be lasting after a stretch like that. Well, yeah, but running a kilometer is what thousands of reps effectively each step yeah. and so that compounds so much doesn't it yeah you, so you use both forms of stretching at least both forms yeah. that, I, that i'm aware of in your in your work which is the stretch therapy style uh which we've we've talked to kit lachlan on the podcast and written a few things about the uh, long hold relaxing and breathing into the stretch and kind of inhabiting the new movement yeah or the new range and then you also use ballistic stretching can you talk to us about how they fit together yeah so it's kind of i have basically in my syllabus i have two sides of the syllabus there is what i term the sympathetic nervous system side and the parasympathetic nervous system side both of them do different things and we have to be kind of clear on what we're using them for if we are doing something that's almost like a strength exercise in form of intensity we're training the sympathetic nervous system we are training our ability to work with gravity and against gravity we are enhancing the actual nervous system control of the body and we're giving it options whereas on the other side of the more stress therapy like work we're actually trying to basically fill in the blank spaces of the body we're either increasing proprioceptive or the mindfulness i suppose you could use it's a difficult term but the the linkage between the brain and the body and actually giving i think of it like shining a laser a laser light into the darkness like oh i didn't know my quads were tight well let's just shine the laser in there and see what we find oh shit my left quad is super tight and i didn't know that from all my other exercises okay let's work on that this gives us clues on what we can and can't do at the same time, we're like dealing with the threat response. We're dealing with almost the emotional patterns that inhabit these kind of things picked up from wherever. Where the stretcher, I'm sure you probably experienced this in the depths of a hip flexor stretch. You're probably uh, re-experiencing your own birth and all these kind of things. And <laughs> well, you you know you you say that semi in jest, but like yeah, people bursting into tears in yeah. long stretches like this and having you know, f feeling like they've, they've resolved an issue with that they've had with their dad and stuff that you're like, wow, this is not what you'd expect from stretching your ass. Yeah, basically. And it's like, it's weird that like we do, and we can think of it very simply, like, you know, if we, uh, if just think about like a standard nonverbal communication pattern in response to stress, there's someone who kicked your ass before. And every time they walk into the room, you're going to tense up and flinch a little and then that becomes a micro movement. And then it just becomes 
almost a stored pattern ready to play in response to this projected threat response, even though it was like, you know, schoolyard fight when you're age seven and this guy is 27 now and you're still friends and all this, but it's still this kind of thing. But by using stretching and also by putting the light onto these positions, then suddenly that pattern of stored tension, the stored movement pattern ready to go can be eliminated or can be exposed and can be dealt with. And this is where we get a lot of these kind of things. Now, I think there's a lot more deeper layers to it than that, but it's just to give you an idea for the listeners of why this may be. So by getting rid of all this junk, this is when we talk about a restriction. It's very interesting that uh, you've probably experienced this when you've resolved a restriction. you like, oh, I feel really tight. I feel tense. I feel tense. And then it's gone. And you expect like, oh, this big sense of freedom and all this, but it's just, you can just move and there's nothing there. That's what resolving is. It's like, oh, I didn't, I knew it was there and now it's gone, but I don't have like an amazing cathartic release a lot of the time, but I can just move freely now that I've dealt with it once. That's it. it when you've put it like that, it's like it's defragging the, the hard drive of your, your brain and, and your body. And yeah. I guess the, it carries over the, the analogy of opening up this rain shining the light and suddenly regaining access to part of a range of physical motion that you didn't have before, but also mentally as well, that if you don't have this cassette recorded ready to play response kind of yeah. um, going off every time you, you're faced with another pattern of that threat, you suddenly have the freedom to respond emotionally in any way you choose rather than the way that you've been programmed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So obviously it can go a lot deeper and a lot of these can be uh, stored in the mind shape or the body shape, the mind-body shape of the body-mind complex, how to put that. So you've got these kind of the long-held methods, but the issue can be is that then we need to gain. So it's like the parasympathetic side of things will increase the range of motion. It gives you ability, it gives you potential. The sympathetic nervous system gives you the actual control. So you get the sports car, but you still have to learn to drive it. And this is what we need to train to get a total view of flexibility training at the same time respecting all our other training parameters. Hey, Johnny here. Just a really quick interruption to this episode to let you know about a resource we now have up and running on propinfitness.com. One of the most popular questions we get from readers and listeners is, hey guys, what would you recommend for my starting calories for fat loss or muscle gain? How much protein, carbs, fat? How many calories should I eat to begin my journey as a starting point? Normally, this is something that we do for clients when they come into our program, The Propane Protocol. But recently, we have opened up the calculator that we use for all of our clients so that you can get a free calculation, a free starting point of what we would recommend if you were to start as a client with us for your protein, carbs, fats, and calories overall for either fat loss or muscle gain, customized to you and your goal. If you want to get access to that, it is totally free. You just have to go to propinfitness.com forward slash calculator, enter your information, and we will send your macros and your calorie recommendations to that email address. And we'll also send you a few free resources over email just to pad that out and ensure that you have the best possible chances of reaching your goals in fat loss and muscle gain. Hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So if someone wants to get started with this and experience a bit of this new psychological, physical freedom, what can they do? That's See, this is the kind of thing what's very interesting is... A lot of people, it's kind of to get into it, you actually need someone who knows what they're doing to show you into it. Because like, just look at it, look at anyone stretching in a gym. What do they do? You see them, they get into the stretch, 
and then they move away from it and they kind of fiddle around with it and they kind of, oh, I'll do a little bit this way, I'll do a little bit that way. But they don't actually hold a constant tension in that line of tension where they are tight or a constant, like, we're going this direction. At the same time, if they are doing it, like say an isometric side but the level of tension in the body is very tight and it hides the actual tension. Because if you think, but you squeeze your fist hard enough, you keep squeezing, keep squeezing. Eventually your fist kind of disappears because it just gets too tense. It's the same with this kind of tension when we're doing isometric stretching. It protects and it hides these things. Whereas we need the more, this is where the partner stretching is great because you work with a skilled partner, they feel you're tight in one specific direction. They apply a constant force and say, don't move. And then you're forced to confront that tension. <laughs> rather than oh that's hard oh that's hard oh, oh, yeah. and, and, right I've done my I've done my stretching warm up yeah. well all you've done there is just find hard things and not engage with any of them yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so it's kind of like for people doing it like you know Kit Lachlan's work I think is great on YouTube for getting into it there's a lot of stuff to play with I do definitely urge it, like find someone who knows how to do stretch therapy, which is, there's more people out there now. Or find like, I know, sure, there's loads of yoga teachers who are quite skillful at this as well, but uh, I can't name anyone off the top of my head, but they exist, they're just not common. So I think to get around that um, initial, like, oh, don't like that, I've personally found that supporting the limb and finding a position that I can just relax in and with that active part being stretched, and just really sit with it and see the ebbs and flows of the discomfort and let it just come and go. Um, but it does take a lot more patience than, than I'd initially been prepared for, you know, sitting in a stretch like that three minutes feels like forever, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, uh, the interesting thing is like, as you get more skillful at it, you can get more done in less time. So it's kind of just being like, this is the thing a lot of these tensions they can be resolved in like two seconds if you could actually get in and fully accept it and fully experience it but you can't because it's like it's kind of well i suppose like an onion you can scrape one layer off your onion in that short time and then you have to deal with a bit of a the rebound afterwards and then go back to your onion but uh, yeah very true And in terms of the sexy stuff as well, of getting splits, like you, you just, you said a comment earlier that probably blew most people's minds, but it was very casual. You were like, most people can get side splits in quite a short amount of time if they just work at it. But you have a video on that, which is phenomenal where you're taking, you're taking someone through uh, a full, I think a front split stretch. You go yeah, deep dive yeah. into it. Yeah. So that one is quite interesting. If we share a link on that one, I'm sure you go as well, or you can find it on my YouTube that I basically put now it's say it's a program that will fit 80% of people, 80, 90% of people where the whole point of it is just to go in and try the exercises out. And you'll find that also kind of rated in levels. You try them out and you find the one you like, you find the one that works for you. Uh, they might not be the same thing. You might find one like, Oh my God, that feels horrible, but it's doing something. That's fine. That's good. Or this one just feels like I can't do it right. That's fine. You put it away for later and come back to it. But it will get most people into a front split just using and following along with that. And we'll get there. And then you just pick like one or two exercises out of it and do them for three to four sets rather than doing this is the thing with stretching training. A lot of people think, oh, I have to do five, six stretches for my hamstrings and three stretches for my calves. Like, no, you just need to find the one that works for you, the targets where you are tight and just work on that and do more sets of this. I suppose the characteristic someone needs there and, and why you said that really it's very helpful to have a coach with this is if you're the kind of person that avoids discomfort, 
you're going to choose the one that feels nice to sit in but actually isn't doing anything and if you're the kind of masochistic uh crossfitter type that's going to just pick the most painful one it might not necessarily be the most effective one yeah it's definitely that one yeah you definitely nailed the two types of people it's like i'm going to do iso splits on chairs that are sliding on a slippy surface and it's just like yeah it's fine you can do that but maybe let's start with something gentle it's really good for the gram as well yeah <laughs> even then it's like i'm training my size and the amount of people like the interesting thing is like if you train something too hard it's like if you just think your body like solves problems this is what it does you give presented a problem and it solves it in a way you don't want it to solve it. Whereas like we wanted to go like, here's a side split exercise. We want to go deeper and get better at side splits. And you give it something too hard and it responds by like just resisting and locking yourself down or choosing an alignment where it rests on joints or something like this. And you're like, ah, okay, this makes it work. But it's not the pro- it's not the solution we want. See, it's just the body finding the path of least resistance. Yeah. Interesting. So it's kind of always, yeah. So this thing, you need your stretching exercises to be hard, but not too hard. Yeah, I suppose the the that goes for most things, even even effectiveness aside. Yeah. If something is too hard, you're just not going to do it, and it's why we have problems with things like keto diets because they're so unpleasant and so socially awkward, and you smelly and grumpy and expensive, and you're like, well, I'm going to do this for what three weeks, and even if it was twenty percent faster than a traditional diet, which it's not, but <laughs> even if it was. <laughs> It, it's just not it's just not worth it compared to something that you can just have in the background i mean i'm i'm sat here eating a watermelon um <laughs> and life is great so, <laughs> so so the the other side to your um to your work is the the handstand acrobat stuff um yeah. so i've i've always struggled with handstands and i think part of it is from years of benching and very little time focused on improving my my overhead flexibility um so all of my handstands are basically if you've seen them that i'm basically like planching them um which is a bad habit uh can you talk to us about um handstands in general and how to approach them for someone who's never done that before yeah i think that's kind of an interesting one so uh yeah give you the too long uh yeah how can we do a brain dump on this so basically with handstands we have to kind of like separate out it's like why are you doing a handstand first first and foremost it's like my background it's always for the gram always for the gram anything anyone well, does in fitness if it wasn't on instagram it didn't happen is instagram not dead yet when's tiktok taking over <laughs> it's always for the talk uh basically but it's kind of like what purpose are you serving it's like this is the kind of thing of like we have to separate doing a handstand, which is just standing on the hands in an unsupported manner versus being a hand balancer, which is what I train people in. It's like we're training at a very specific art form that has certain things and certain criteria that we do them for this reason at certain stages. It has a pedagogy to it with the goal being to build up like two high level one arm handstands and presses and all this. So in general, you have to think it's like, oh, do I just want to be able to do a handstand? Well, you could actually just learn that just by constantly kicking up, taking your hands wider than you would and bending the arms. It's a handstand, let's say it. It's a lot of people say, oh, it's not good form. It's a handstand. Whereas if you're looking to get this straight line handstand, where is the certain variances in the straight line handstand that may or may not be uh, right for what you want to do. But that's a different conversation, I suppose. 
But if we're trying to get a straight handstand for the purpose of doing acrobatics with, then we need to start looking at it is a skill. The skill has a flexibility demand. It has a strength demand in the ranges of motion. And it also has a skill demand in how we actually use it. So you have to separate this where people get mixed up. They train. There's some things that develop the skill. There's some things that develop the strength. And there's some things that develop the specific flexibility. A lot of people don't understand what they're doing in these drills. So they'll pull what they seems like the right drill but they put it in at the wrong time or it could be a great drill but it's given to the wrong person so you have to be clear on this so in terms of like handstands like if you're working say for yourself to develop shoulder flexion then i'll give you guys here's something to try out for everyone listening in so you're going to do a side bend lat stretch so this is when you reach up grab a post and what you're going to try to do is replicate your ideal handstand line with your shoulder so get your shoulder up to your ear and then take your same side leg so i'm going to use my left hand my left leg will go beside behind the body and i'm going to find a big stretch along my whole side think well, about so, this. so i've got a vertical post vertical and post and i'm leaning into it to create this yeah you want to get arm straight shoulder up to the ear open out and we think about the side of the lat the lat goes all the way from the armpit all the way down to the lumbar spine basically so it's huge muscle and you want to make that line as long as possible you're just going to hang out there for about 60 seconds contract relax if you know what you're doing but even just hanging there will do it and then you're going to lie down on the floor and get a stick and on the stick you're going to put it through the handle of a kettlebell so a really heavy kettlebell you're going to do an ice replicate your handstand line lie down the floor and then pull against the kettlebell handle as hard as you can. You could also hold two heavy dumbbells. You're going to do that for 10 seconds. And if you're not shaking, you're not lifting hard enough with the arms. And then let go of the handles, move your hands slightly to the side, and then lift into a static shoulder flexion and hold that for 20, 30 seconds. So you do 60-second lat stretch, three by 10-second shoulder flexion isometric raises against the dumbbell, and then 30 seconds shoulder the static shoulder flexion hold in the static shoulder flexion hold we're going to perform what we what i term a concentric quasi isometric where your intent is to not just hold a static position on a fixed angle you're always trying to go a little bit higher uh try that out that's a special one for you try that out then try your handstand afterwards and see what happens i'm I'm looking forward to doing that i think maybe this is one of the other reasons because i'm sat there thinking like i'm keen to try that but i know that Ten years ago, I would have been like, "Oh, that's boring. I'm not doing that." And that's probably why so few people become flexible because it's not sexy. It's not a. There's no kind of, you know, I'm not throwing something over my head or do, it, it's just sat there doing this like kind of <laughs> movement with a kettlebell that's not that doesn't move anything and feels futile. But it's the specific thing that's going to open up the bottlenecks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of, yeah, you hit it there. A lot of your flexibility training just feels futile. It's like sit on the floor and go forward in a pancake and you're like, oh, I'm going forward and you put some weight on. You're like, oh, that's cool. And it's only 10 kg, so it's not impressive. And you're like, oh, and you slowly go deeper and you slowly go deeper. And uh, There's a lot of these behaviors like that where, um, so meditation, the one that I, I talked about in a video recently where that it's it's plausible that meditation as a whole is just one big prank that everyone's in on to just get people to sit on the floor and just focus on the tip of their nose <laughs> for half an hour a day and everyone's like <laughs> look at him but but actually like it's something that just has to be has to be done and you know facing the boredom is kind of part of the the process in itself yeah and something you've gone um, deep into recently is taoism 
Yeah. Um, or... I, I don't know the, the first thing about it, to be honest. Yeah. So it's very complicated. So I just to clarify, I'm an instructor on a school called Bamen Dashwan, which is eight gates leading to the great mystery is the translation. The great mystery being the state of natural, uh, the state of natural in Taoism. It's, it's kind of, it's a weird one in, to explain, but it's easy to experience to a certain degree that Taoism thinks you're perfect when you start out. You come into this world, and you're pretty perfect, you're perfect, but then loads of shit gets thrown on top of you by society, by your parents, by people around. Uh, your goal is to try just get rid of all the unuseful shit. So this could be patterns of tension in the body, it could be ways of thinking that you're thinking about yourself, the inability to express your emotions correctly because certain emotions are favorable to society, certain ones are not. So having sort of trainings around this is kind of the way we go about it. Now, there's sort of three main schools of Taoism. There's real Taoism, like family Taoism, like Taoism was never really a big religion. It was never set up to be this. It was kind of closer to almost like your village shaman back in the day. Um, it wasn't really religious. It kind of fulfilled some of the values of religious function. Then we have a religious Taoism that came into China later, kind of in response to Buddhism, because Buddhism came in and they had pretty rituals and temples and nice clothes. So that was started to lose business basically. And we're like, oh shit, we've got a basically just look nicer. So then they came up with religious Taoism that kind of came a state religion. Then you have monastic Taoism where it's like, you know, you fuck off to a monastery and do your Taoism there, which isn't really part of the point of Taoism. And what I like about it is uh, the whole real point of Taoism is you're still meant to live in society. It's not go off and be a monk. It's great if you can be spiritually achieved and relaxed and calm and free and all this in a monastery in a controlled environment. But if you can't do that when you're dealing with your mother shouting at you for not fulfilling her life goals for you, percent, well, yeah, you're not really doing it right. You're not really living life. And in some ways, this might limit your spiritual attainment because you won't be in a controlled environment conducive to this. But at the same time, you're not denying life. That it's that anyone can be peaceful if they're, if you know, once they've got into it, sitting yeah. on a cushion in a silent room. But yeah, when when you're out up against it, that's where the real challenge comes. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's where our awareness is tested, I suppose, or your ability to be aware or non-reactive. It's not that like this is the thing. We don't want to be trapped in fixed reactive patterns. This is where we are like, oh, I'm always going to react to the same situation in the exact same way because my whole being has been shaped in this one direction. Whereas if we free this up, then suddenly you're free to react in maybe an instantaneous manner, but it's more natural. This is where like, you get a lot of Taoism in Chinese martial arts where the goal is not to have like one set reaction, like this guy punches at me, so I will block with my left hand and then punch right and then kick left. It's more just like the reaction will just come out. The right reaction will come out at the right time without having to plan out your confrontation. And this comes down to our conversations, like how many people spend time planning out conversations you will never have <laughs> with people when you're going like, oh, shit, that person, if they said that to me, well, then I'll say this and then I'll say that. And then I'll bring this thing up from four years ago where you're trying to get to a point where like you're not doing these planned reactions. You're not planning out your stuff. And just think about how much brain power you could free up daily if you didn't have all these kind of moments where you're planning out what you would say to this person when they deliver your package late. And you can just go, oh, postman, thank you, you're late. It reminds me of um, when you 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 create the the internal structure and like the is it Rumi one of his the the 
the old uh, yeah. Arab poet, and one of one of his students came to him and said, "I want to learn poetry like you." And he says, "Okay, go and learn ten thousand lines of poetry, go and memorize it." And then the guy came back and he's like, "Right, I've done it." And he's like, "Right, now forget it all." And the whole purpose is that you create the basic structures and then you let it go and you let what comes out spontaneously happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose yeah, this is sorry. the kind of thing of like a Taoism is like we're looking for a trained natural. I know this sounds weird, but we're looking for a trained response that is actually flows naturally. So it's kind of a, the Taoist paradox is like we do all this meditation training, do all this breath work, you do all this physical training to get to a point where you're spontaneous. But it kind of comes in, uh, the martial arts is always easier way to explain this is easier to grasp, but we have in the martial art training, we have uh, three things, power, intent, and then everything else. So power is just like, I just want to be able to hit someone really hard really fucking hard and it doesn't and it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter what i hit them with like fist elbow headbutt knee it just got to be hard it's just got to have a lot of power behind the full body force then you got intent it's like okay if things are going to kick off you just go there's no hesitation it's not like oh i'm going to be hurt i'm going to do it's like okay let's come to the point someone's shouting you on the street he's about to throw a punch it's go time you just go in dive you just that's it you jump off the cliff then everything else like precision timing you know dual techniques tactics they're important but they come last because if you can't hit someone hard really fucking hard then it doesn't matter that if you can duck and weave and bob and everything you're just going to annoy them more and more till eventually they get you so it's this kind of same thing as like oh if i you know if i can just flinch out a bad hook but it has a lot of power behind it. That's going to end a lot of street fights. Like you can just go on like World Star. It's a hobby of mine, and look at how many like, <laughs> look at how many fights are just ended by someone just keeping their hand by their pocket and then just throwing a hook out of nowhere with a lot of power in it. I love them. That's so true. Actually, I've um, one of my guilty pleasures has been the subreddit fight porn. I don't know if you've seen it. It's yeah, it, and it's just like security cam footage or MMA clips and stuff of yeah. people just doing mental knockouts. You just think like, whoa, like. But yeah, a lot of it is just um, sucker punches and and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's how kinda, did we get onto that? Yeah, it's just easier <laughs> to explain. So like, this is the kind of thing we're trying to train. Is we're trying to natural to the point where like when I do throw a sucker punch it has a lot of power behind it it just finishes it and it's not a pretty punch it's not skillful it's not Tyson there's no tactic to it it's just swing your arm like a bat so if you're an RPG character you've put all of your gold coins into uh, attack none of it into precision or charisma or yeah basically and that kind of thing and then it's uh, this happens in life it's like oh well I will train my responses to be you know, I'll deal with emotions. I'll do emotional training to the point where I can experience my emotions. And then when it's time to be angry, you can be really fucking angry. And that's okay. Or when it's time to be happy, you can be really fucking happy because there's nothing restricting the expression of the emotion. Uh, so so this is more about, um, I've heard someone describe this in the way of saying, when you let go of all of your conditioning, people think that that means you become this like emotionless automaton, but actually you just have full access to the entire spectrum of emotions and you sing them with their fullest color when they're necessary. And, yeah. you know, you've got a kid that's trying to cross the road and you grab them and you shout at them or whatever. And it's not that you're angry. You're just using, you're using the anger as, as the tool to achieve the the job of like teaching them. This is not what's, what you should yeah. be doing. 
Yeah, exactly. And this is kind of, and it's like, there's nothing restricting, you know, when it's time to do something, there's nothing restricting. You only get through this by training them directly because they've been suppressed for so long. So then you get, oh, cool. I can be happy. I can be angry. I can go punch a wall. Uh, but then when it's done, it's done. It's not lingering around. You're not like having that conversation where it's like, I'll be angry at that person. And then I'm not going, oh, I should have said this. And I should have said that. It just comes out and you know, it's finished. I think that's just the problem of humans in the 20th century, 21st century. It's like we we just all have this like low-grade, um, bubbling kind of crap emotion rather than like things coming up and out. And, and you know, I, I guess there's many, many reasons for that, that societally we can't always express our emotions and we've got social media and um, lots of anxiety-inducing uh, stuff that we're yeah. being bombarded with. But, yeah. See, yeah. this is kind of interesting thing where, like, the in the history of the school, so the history of the school goes back fifteen hundred years, and there was a training added to school. It's a very big thing when a training, a specific new training, is added because obviously it's been tried and tested. Where the emotional regulation training got added as people started living more and more in cities and in closer units, and whoever were the masters at the time decided, hold on, shit, people can't discharge their emotions in a healthy manner or the way that would be conducive in a village or living alone or whatever it would be. Wow. So then they actually, we have a training called the Zinyi Daoyan Fa, which is the heart mind. I can't remember how it translates exactly, but it's to basically stop these emotional patterns becoming a problem or getting stored in the body. So you get rid of them by a specific training before it gets stored or gets uh, stuck or repressed. So the, the trend then, if, if that more emotional regulation was required when people were moving into villages and having more interaction with other people, that's gone to the extreme degree now where there is suddenly no limit. The geographical limit has been eliminated and we yeah. have total access to all people. And I've heard that as an argument for why, one of the reasons why we've got such an increase in teen suicides on um, from Instagram and that kind of thing, because suddenly teenage uh, teenagers that are very like conscious of their body image and stuff are suddenly not yeah. just comparing themselves to their classmates but to like the pinnacle of um instagram influencers with photoshopped pictures and yeah and so suddenly it's like you the brain just can't handle these extreme comparisons compared to the mundane life that they're living yeah yeah definitely it's definitely yeah, I definitely 100% agree with that. It's this idea of like, we're always looking at the best. It's always the best that's being presented to us. Like ugly people don't make it in front of your screen unless you go hunting for them. Except for me, I'm here now. But, uh, <laughs> You're beautiful, Emmett. Thank you, thank you. But uh, yes, yeah, that idea of like, we're always just being shown perfection or a pseudo perfection or being told this is perfection. Because let's face it, it's one of these things that's very interesting to me is uh one of my side interests is actually fashion. People probably don't know this. No. But I really, I'm really into clothes and other stuff. Not as in I like buying clothes and shit, but I just like observing fashion trends and why. And it's very, I call it the tyranny of clothing. And clothing, certain clothing goes in, fan, in trends and cycles. We know this, pants get wider, pants get tighter, lapels get wider, lapels get tighter. Shoes, suits are like looser, suits are tighter, form-fitting, whatever. But certain clothing fits certain types of bodies. And these bodies then become the ideal because they begin to peak shift towards it. So you can see this right now, yoga pants. What happened when yoga pants became a thing? 
Oh, what looks good in yoga pants? Big asses. What becomes a trend? Oh, big asses are now peak shifting towards this thing of like asses just getting bigger and bigger. That's that's so, and it's become like this weird feedback loop now where yeah. there's like the ones that have the this, this stitch that go like right up into your anus. And you're just yeah. thinking like, this is so, this, this kind of two-way feedback loop has started to create the most ridiculous form of yeah. that trend. Yeah, now this is the thing. Once a trend reaches a peak, it bursts and it cycles back. So now you've probably seen we've gone past the early adopter phase. So the early adopter phase for baggy jeans happened two years ago. I spotted it when I was in London. And we were beginning to see trendsetters wearing baggier jeans, like 90s jeans. So imagine all these kind of X-Works and Gene Co. and all that. And now baggy jeans are back in. Now this is where things get interesting because big asses don't look good in baggy jeans. What look good in baggy jeans? Oh, think of the 90s build. Hip bones, whale tail tongs, all this kind of thing. So now you'll see the trend of body type and body in societal body image, preferred societal body image, as they'll term it, will go away from big asses. You'll be left with a lot of people who are like, I made my ass big to fit good in these. But now fashion has said that this type of clothing is not cool and I will need to change my body type to conform with that. Or I will feel bad because I can't find jeans that fit me properly. It's kind of like if we think about, you know, what lifters are finding so lifters you know with bigger quads found i remember when i first moved to london i had pretty big quads and i was trying to buy a new pair of jeans and i couldn't because skinny jeans were big in london 2006 i couldn't find the pair of jeans that would fit my quads and fit my waist because the waist would be far too big yeah. yeah and now i can like obviously there's different brands out there but i just couldn't i couldn't like i just gave up wearing jeans because i couldn't find jeans that would fit or that look cool that were stylish skinny jeans as well instead of just accepting boot cut jeans or some shit like this looking like an absolute dad with yeah. an iron maiden t-shirt and now iron maiden t-shirts are back in as well this is the thing well, yeah. yeah and like so, what 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 the um all the the punk bands i can't even remember the names now like 99 red balloons and all that stuff like yeah. and sex pistols people that don't listen to those bands but wear the t-shirt yeah it's kind of yeah so this kind of thing but uh just to go back to the tyranny of clothing so then you see a shift say in power suits and women depending if they have shoulder pads or not different forms of women's shoulders will look good in different suits so power suits rely on a woman who's kind of more narrower across the frame across the front to back angle so and this will give that kind of like square like uh what's that movie blade runner kind of silhouette but then a lot of women just don't have that silhouette and the power suit won't actually do it. It'll just make them like look like they're wearing pauldrons. So then their body wearing type their will, suit. Yeah, basically it'll just look like they're wearing, you know, something weird. But then this body type will be, you know, it will be an attractive body type, but it'll be steamed as societally wrong. If we think of heroin chic in the nineties, everyone had to be skinny as possible. And then bolted on tits became a thing with Pamela Anderson. And then it goes, oh, now that's like, it's gone away from tits on to ask. Yoga pants are accentuating this. These kind of jeans, tight jeans, obviously, as well. But now jeans are going looser. Fashion styles are going to go back to being looser. The body type that looks good in tight clothes doesn't look good in loose clothes. And people will be like, oh, actually, now I need to change my body type. Or my body type is wrong because fashion. Do you think people change their body types in line with the clothes? Or is it happening on an unconscious level? I. I think it's an unconscious bias. I don't think people go out there and go, oh shit, you know, my t-shirts are now loose again. and My biceps need to be bigger to fill it. I think it's more, it's a fashion trend. It's a, it's a cycle because like it's a peak shift because certain clothes will emphasize certain aspects of the human form and have been chosen like, oh, 
this looks good, you know, on this kind of form. This person gets pumped up, this person becomes fashionable, or this model becomes fashionable on this. Oh, this silhouette is it. Then you go, oh, I'm a guy, and skinny shoots were great, but now it's all about big chests, so now I need a bigger chest to look better because this is the preferred societal image in the media. I suppose so it influences things over time that you've got, you had like over the last 30 years, you had kind of classic bodybuilding and then yeah. it's moved to physique style where it's characterized more by smaller legs and more of like much more of a V taper, um, yeah. more on the kind of uh, arms and delts. And it kind of moves, I guess like moves through those, those different. Um, but what you've talked about there is kind of the, the mainstream. And I guess yeah. there's always a counterculture that's running in parallel. I think quite luckily, if you're a man that lifts weights, you're always going to be able to fit classic. Like you'll always be able to shop yeah. at Marks and Spencer and <laughs> look good in clothes, yeah. um, which is fortunate because then it means you don't have to kind of um, be keeping on top of any trends or anything just to be able to look good in cheap clothes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's you know, a case. You will always. This is the thing. You will always find what you want, but it's kind of what's pushed to the forefront of the media. And this is kind of what hits teenagers as well. Is the media preferred silhouette or the media prone thing will change, and then they'll have a silhouette that would be like infinitely attractive in ten years' time, but right now it's not in fashion, and they can't conform to it. You just go. You just don't have the body type. And then suddenly it's like, oh, shit, then I feel bad because everything around me is saying I'm a bad person because my body does not conform to this. Whereas five years ago, it would have been cool. Or 10 years ago, it would be cool. God, that goes deep. And I didn't expect us to take this turn on on the podcast. <laughs> so here we are. Well, Emmett, thanks so much for your time. I, I, I think, at least for me, there's so many open loops um, of of Taoism, of the Xinyi Tao Yin Fa practice, yeah. um, of your YouTube channel, which if if you're listening to this, you need to look at Emmett's channel. It's so practical and so clear with the guidance for all the, like, I mean, he's, you, you're busting out content. Um, so how can we find out more about you? Uh, so the new website for the M3 is up and modernmobility.com is going to have more articles. We're going to, yeah, so there's probably some interesting stuff to go on business next time we do a podcast, maybe. But uh, nice. Yeah, we've been uh, yeah pivoting like mad to get this going. Uh, so that's going to be up if you're interested in that. Check it out. I have articles there. I'll have some video content there as well. Uh, but I also have some online programs to follow eventually whenever Rona starts wrecking us. Uh, handstandfactory.com if you're looking to train hand balance with a circus thing aiming we start completely from beginner going all the way to one arms advanced stuff we have more advanced programs coming uh, if this is your thing it also has flexibility training included in it to suit complement the hand balance uh, you can also find me at emmettlewis.com which is uh, my kind of junk holder site but uh, if you want to get in touch for training you can get through me there YouTube uh, is good Instagram is good it's kind of one of those things I don't pull out a lot of content but when I do, I like to think it's pretty good. So sure. check it out. Uh, my mantra is shit production and uh, top quality content. <laughs> well, it, yeah, in, in spite of, uh, of not marketing, you've been requested all around the world. So uh, modernmobility.com, handstandfactory.com, and emmettlewis.com. L- Louis, 
Did we get Louis, this wrong last? Yeah. Oh, no, it's balls. Lewis. I pronounce it Lewis, but like it's the French spelling, L-O-U-I-S. Ah, fair enough. Even though it's named after my grandmother's dad, who was Welsh, so it was obviously spelled Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. So I have the Welsh pronunciation with the French spelling, thanks oh, to my parents. What a disaster. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, and Instagram and Twitter, fantastic. And I'm going to post post recording this i'll have to get some recommended reading from you for the daoist stuff and i'll stick it in the description as well yeah cool brilliant amazing emma it's been a pleasure oh thank you thank you hey johnny again hope you enjoy that episode so we have an opportunity for you something that we have put together that is totally free that is a synthesis of everything that yusuf and i have learned in fat loss muscle gain nutrition training lifestyle habits the works. Everything that you hear on these podcasts, condensed and more, condensed into a synthesis of seven days of learning and immersive experience to totally overhaul, enhance and accelerate the results you're getting currently in your training and your nutrition, no matter how advanced you are or aren't. We put together a virtual learning interactive coaching experience called the seven day kickstart that you can take part in whenever you're ready to. To join, simply go propinfitness.com forward slash seven day kickstart. Enter your details and you'll be sent everything that you need. You'll be coached by the Propin Fitness coaching team over seven days for free. You'll get seven days of content sent to your email completely for free. And it gives you a look behind the scenes of what we do with clients and gives you a ton of information that previously was only available to paying clients inside of our world. So propinfitness.com forward slash seven day kickstart to take part and we hope to see you inside. See you in the next episode. Speak soon.